isn't it just like a game of chicken though, where it's the laziness of not shaving versus the laziness of not shaving is so satisfying. <laughs> but then you also look like a fucking hobo. Yeah. yeah. And so you have to either trim, which is actually harder than shaving. Yeah, totally. I can shave in the shower without a mirror, and I'm good. But if I have a beard and I have to like, then I'm I'm terrible at trimming. It always I I grow the pube stash thing if where you it comes in all curly me and like starting a beard over. Yeah. <laughs> Come gather all your poets, all your storytelling freaks Thrumming your golden esophagi, spilling floral frilly speech You are the chosen noisemakers, the rabble that won't sleep The ugly little secrets walking proudly down the street Each story holds a thousand seeds a proverbial pomegranate A jewel of possibilities A not-so-silent planet And welcome <laughs> to Season 2 of the Not-So-Silent Planet Podcast. I am Ben Sandell. Uh, I am not the normal normal host, Philip Andrew Bennett Lowe, is not hosting. And the reason he's not hosting is because today he is the guest. And Sorry. we are... Guest! And this was his clever twist for the season opener of season two of Not So Silent Planet. By, by clever uh, twist, we mean raw nepotism. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because not only is he the guest... Of the podcast that he hosts, we are also going to be discussing a book that he wrote. So, welcome to the podcast, Philip. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Mr. Sandell. Mm. Are you familiar with the format? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Also joining us today, uh, we have a special guest, um, one of the hosts of the Horror Show Hot Dog Podcast, one of the producers of Twin City Horror Fest, and uh, assistant art director of Fearless Comedy, Matt Alex. Hello, lovely to be back. Are you sure that's not horse show? <laughs> I mean, when I say it, yes. Because apparently I can't say words. Right? <laughs> say, say it, say it again. Vague? No. <laughs> <laughs> All back to before we started. We are having a discussion of how you pronounce vague. Vague. Is it vague or vague? Vague. And it's, can you hear the difference between vague and vague? Vague. <laughs> no? <laughs> I, I, I've, I've always said it badge, so. Uh huh. Uh, yeah. Very highbrow. That's <laughs> <laughs> just, like, just like so much of the humor in your book. <laughs> <laughs> this is the uh, book with the monkey fucking. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're correct. <laughs> That's pretty much. That sums up. You know, it's the book with the monkey fucking. That kind of gives you an idea. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry to skip to the end. <laughs> So, Skip to the middle. Like, <laughs> the first section of the, the podcast is the oral report, which I am to give. Which I'm trying to figure out how to give a report on a book that feels like a, a fever dream of sorts. <laughs> it, sort of like a, a holiday-themed 
fever dream written by a drunk Douglas Adams would be a uh, would be one way I would describe it. I, I would agree with the drunk part. <laughs> uh, so it's called Get Thee Behind Me Satan, written by nope. Philip nope. Incorrect Santa, already. Santa. Incorrect already. <laughs> Get Thee Behind Me Santa, a holiday themed and inexcusably filthy children's time travel farce for adults. Only. May I say I love that this is formatted and printed as a children's book. <laughs> Which inspires me to get ten of them and then leave them on bookshelves <laughs> in my local. <laughs> it is printed to look like a children's book, except for the fact that you, on the front page is Philip holding a bottle of Jameson in one hand and a giant cross over his shoulder uh, in the other. Maybe which... we frequent different bookstores, sir. I only shop at Bible Watch. <laughs> <laughs> Do they often have bottles of Jameson in their... Uh... Uh, cleverly concealed labeled bottles of Jameson? Mm. Yeah. Okay. Go to the mustard seed. They want, yeah, either to get that, you know, sponsor money or nothing. So, this is a... Uh... That was amazing. <laughs> Your dog just, like, kicked the door, grabbed a shoe, and the door bounced open and it ran off with it. That's... Wait, what shoe? Was that your shoe? No, no, it's not my ah! shoe. It's that Ben shoe? shoe? We're no! off to a great start here, folks. <laughs> it's now over behind you. <laughs> the, it's right there. There we go. Hang on. I'm just saying, that was like the most... the shoe. <laughs> I, I, would have, I would have assumed the needs of like a simian to do that kind of... Uh, that kind of finesse. Like, it, your dog is Ocean's 14. <laughs> you know? Yeah, Bashans are very smart, and smart dogs are terrible. No, I, no, I had a husky <laughs> for a time. It was the worst. Okay, so <laughs> just to recap... <laughs> Episode one of season two is with me uh, giving the wrong title of the book <laughs> and Philip's dog stealing one of my shoes. So we've condensed all of season one. <laughs> Which, yeah, basically sums up season one. That's the recap, everybody. Maybe we're confused. On to the third doctor. So get the behind me. <laughs> so what do you think of the new, uh, the new doctor's clothing? I, I don't watch it. I don't know. They just put out a picture. Oh, you don't watch Doctor Who, do you? No, I oh. saw the picture, and I saw people were getting really upset about it, and I couldn't figure out why wow. anyone cared. Because <laughs> people get upset about everything. Well, because it's a woman, right? So oh, everyone's it? like... Oh, I thought everybody was excited for that. Picking oh, I mean, apart her outfit. On Reddit, but yeah, everybody <laughs> picks, picks apart the outfit. They never do that with the, with the male doctors. But the, the woman doctor, everybody's like, Her pants are blue! Oh. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, this this episode should have had come much out. more fertile soil in which to grow in a geek podcast. <laughs> I apologize. Yeah, no. we just had uh, we just had Joshua here. I everything. <laughs> Sorry, but you know it doesn't matter because this podcast will come out probably in like April. Yeah, and everybody. That like, seems right. What April are you guys of talking about twenty twenty seven when Skynet takes <laughs> over and yeah. comes people will be listening to this underground bunkers. <laughs> but then we'll be banging rocks together. <laughs> We're good. Get thee behind me, Santa. There you go. Mm. Name of the book, and the book is uh, the the thread that goes to the book uh, is essentially it's about two different timelines. One timeline uh, where Jesus is not the one crucified, uh, and I'm probably getting this all wrong, <laughs> uh, but in fact. Santa is on the cross, and it, so this a very memorable scene in the book it features Santa on the cross, and then as a sort of ambush of the Romans, all of his elves uh, remove their hoodies and have super soakers full of battery acid and then attack 
the Romans, the guards, <laughs> and that is how it happens in one timeline. <laughs> and then we look at the consequences of that timeline through a bunch of stories that are sort of interconnected. There's some stories that are just out and out not connected at all. <laughs> Like the monkey story, which uh, well, that shows that shows how the detective and Jesus meet. Uh-huh. So it's it is it's a, a very important plot. So there's a there's a story where <laughs> Jesus comes into the noir detective's uh, office. It's very hard boiled dialogue and everything. And Jesus is like, I got a I got a monkey on my back, and he means it literally. There's a monkey whose name is Darwin, and you know satire. <laughs> Yeah. And then, uh, <laughs> and then the detective uh, falls in love immediately with the monkey, and and that's how him and Jesus meet. But also, that's him and him and the monkey go off and have a, a kind of two girls one cup sex. It's very graphic. You know, where they're vomiting in each other's mouths. Um, now you read it. We had to perform it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So. You know, there's a picture of the monkey in there. <laughs> oh, is there really? Yeah, there is. Like it, it's also an illustrated book. Uh, so, oh yeah. Yeah, there you she go. She brought it to her lips. Bear her dough. Yeah. I like Darwin. Yeah, there That's is. good. Oh. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, who did the illustrations again? Kay Kirscht. Kay Kirscht. He's a local storyteller slash cartoonist. I dig it. <laughs> uh, oh, the nice I gotta say, super half soaker of, picture. No, half of this is what I expected that everybody looked like. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, the illustrations are based off the, of the actors who actually performed the production of this. And how close is this to the... I saw the production, but that was yeah. a year, I, I mean, ago? the production was like half a staged reading, so there wasn't much. Uh, we put on hats. Yeah. Yeah, there were hats. There were many hats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was a rack full of hats. That we left on stage <laughs> yeah. for verisimilitude. I know. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, I actually invented this new technique in plays where people put on different hats to represent different characters. It's actually a callback so. to silent film. Back then it was called Chapeau. <laughs> but, uh, and yet i don't recall reading anything about hats in the story nobody mentions this oh wait the there's hat is the, in your mind there's the crown of thorns <laughs> which i got to wear there's the crown of thorns where jesus delivers a uh, a vibrating broomstick <laughs> to this child who really wants to fly in broomstick and his parents can't understand or are uncomfortable because the kid does not realize what uh, a vibrating broomstick uh, <laughs> implies. And Jesus delivers him the broomstick, and then he does this thing that my mom used to always do, which is, okay, well, I could give you this oh, yeah, 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 yeah. this thing, but can you think about all of the starving children in Africa? Africa? Like, I, I want to go to McDonald's. Well, we could go, but if the starving children of Africa were... In your yard. Say Africa. Africa. <laughs> <laughs> okay, because I thought I had a point to get back at you, and now I didn't say it. Fuck it. No, also, I, was, I was, for whatever reason, mispronouncing it. Okay. I don't know why I kept mispronouncing Africa. <laughs> I think it was the starving children of Africa line that was tongue twisted. I don't yeah, know why. I feel that. Okay. Also, why is it always Africa? There's a I reason mean, there's, why I'm not in radio. Anyway. You know? Well, because uh, radio is yeah. a more abundant uh, why is it always Africa? That's a good question. I mean, There's people starve good. lots of places. <laughs> there, is, I mean, there are people like eight blocks from here. Probably. <laughs> well, I have, I have a joke. My about, checking accounts are over <laughs> I have a joke about that where I was like, it kind of got into my head where I would start like seeing like uh, 
starving kids from Africa on the sidewalk, like going to like a restaurant and I'd be like, Oh, oh God, no, wait, it's just a homeless person. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. I don't know why we, we have to put it far I away. Think, I'm going to blame eighties uh, pop musicians. <laughs> I think that's what it was is once you make, we are the world, everyone that's starving moved to Africa as far as we all knew, because none of us were going to do anything about it. Yeah. So I think that's the thing is we, you watch Michael Jackson and, um, uh, Elton John sing together overlaid on an Ethiopian child and go well that must be the truth because who else could lead us astray <laughs> you know I, I think it predates that because there's the whole like save a pagan baby thing I'm sorry in that <laughs> okay so raise Catholic <laughs> as was I but here's your words <laughs> no there was movements where like uh, you know you give money and they go specifically to help feed you know People May from pagan culture, and it's tied into this notion that they'll be converted as well as fed. Mayhem. Like your church was using its <laughs> funds less selfishly, <laughs> yet somehow more insidiously than the church I attended as a child. Did they really, did they really call it a save a pagan baby fund? Oh yeah, I remember. Well, I not fund, but I remember the <laughs> phrase. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the phrase save, saving pagan babies. Oh like God, I, I remember that. <laughs> I didn't invent that, I swear to God. Because if you had, we'd be, the title of the book changed. <laughs> Amazing. I think uh, another aspect of it is is that Africa is someplace really far away. Right. And they have problems, but we here don't. And if we start well, we're caring, number one. Yeah. We're number one. Yeah. We're number one. USA. <laughs> I can go on. <laughs> I feel really bad for Ben right now. <laughs> I feel like we derailed this hard. No, no, that's that's fine because I <coughs> Ben's reading trying. the book for the first yeah, time. Right I'm just trying to catch up on what I missed here. Oh, why did I? Oh, well, okay. <clears throat> this book definitely is not for kids. Um, I was I, I kept taking note of that as I read on. It's interesting to have that sort of mix of a, a holiday themed book. That is also has stanzas like this in a Christmas carol that you wrote. <clears throat> this is this is a Christmas carol about the uh, seven deadly sins. Mm. This is one stanza. Sweaty and shaking, it strikes him that missile toe isn't the only thing nearby that glistens. He gives thanks to Jesus. The door has a lock because Tony is sucking on Timothy's cock. Yes. Brought to life <laughs> in stunning fashion in the life of Apollo Jones. This which, is true. Yeah, although, although true. in my ideal form, it's being sung by a choir of prepubescent schoolboys. <laughs> Castrato or no? Well, does it matter if they're prepubescent? <laughs> 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 I mean... <laughs> I'm just, mm. See, this is when, <laughs> see, when the sexual <laughs> harassment accusations against me come out, this clip is going to be... Oh, like, they're going to play this over and over <laughs> again. We, we are beyond the age of secret tapes. We've all put it out there for yeah. Cool, we're on the list. Yeah, you better be really <laughs> nervous about getting famous. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know you shouldn't. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, there are not a lot of adult uh, Christmas books. There, there, there are things that were written to be witty for mm. adults and children. Like, you got, like, Mick Foley wrote a couple Christmas books because he just loves Christmas. So he was like, Mick Foley's Halloween Chaos or whatever it is. And right, like, right, right. Well illustrated and they're fun. <laughs> And uh, uh, Paul Mattingly from Matt Mattingly, guys from Social Improviser from Vegas, uh, did one called uh, Christmas Puss, and it's like mm. a Christmas octopus that comes to visit. And like, 
isn't exactly appropriate for kids if you're like under a certain age because he's gotten letters from like teachers that were like, I bought this fun thing, like the Christmas octopus, and they got like half of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, but there's not much. Like you you found a niche market that I think <laughs> is, is something people are yearning for because I'm really <laughs> sick of uh, you know, a Christmas Carol, Rudolph Red Nose. Right, right, right. This one's pretty cool. Yeah. But yeah, there, there's not a lot of fun. I hate Christmas, by the way. Can I just oh, yeah. <laughs> like it's just the most boring holiday? Like, yeah. It's everything you need to know about Christmas. You can get from like one of those calendars you punch the chocolates out of and a can of Coke. Yeah. Like you're kind of done. And if you can add some interesting stories or mythology around that, like that's pretty fun. Which is why, like, having done the show live with you, like, this is super fun <laughs> to me. <laughs> see, so. see, I I love the season because I think it's one of those incredibly bizarre collective mythologies that's gathered such a ridiculous range of contradictory stuff like mm. that's amazing to me i love that it's about like greed and compassion and trees and elves and like it's like if you had never heard of well, this season before and sat down and looked at it <laughs> and a cartoon guy that's fat yeah <laughs> 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 like yeah. it's one of those things I think that we've just sort of has become so normalized to us because we get bombarded by it once a year. But if if uh, if you'd never heard of this before and saw it for the first time, it would be the most insane fucking thing. Here, just you go ahead and stuff your uh, stuff your treats in, inside this used sock. <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> like, you're right because if you take a step back and go, okay, for a, an average, you know, and we're in the United States, so the you know mm -hmm. the majority is Christian currently. And so, like, you have, you know, your Jesus mythology and your Santa mythology, and, like, that's just normal. But if you were, like, okay, but if you move to pick country in the Middle East, it's like, yeah, well, you've got your Muhammad mythology and your Fred Tristo yeah. mythology. You'd be like, what? That <laughs> <laughs> like, doesn't jive. It makes sense. I'm like, no, it totally makes sense, guys. You just have to have, like, 150 years of marketing <laughs> to make it make sense. See, I remember this when I, went, uh, when I was in... Uh... One of my times when I was in China and I was going from the mainland to Hong Kong mm -hmm. and it was just like that transit and it was in November, December mm. and entering Hong Kong was just getting hit by this wall of Christmas. Like so in mainland China, too gross. <laughs> <laughs> but in uh, but in mainland China, you would have had no idea that this was a thing and that but it was just such a like stark cultural demarcation mm -hmm. between the two places. No, is, it, <laughs> is, is, is Christmas, as you saw it there, does it look where it is? Does, mm. it, does it look identical to ours? Or is it? does it have its own take? To my eye, I mean, the... Which that, is it's just glitzy and flashy and, yeah, you know. Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Is KFC involved? No, that's just... <laughs> Never mind. They both have beards. I'm just but, racist. You know. <laughs> All right, let's go back to this book. Uh, I just had a couple more comments about it before we wrap up this section. Uh, it is. It, it does. It is full of fill up low humor, which. Uh, <laughs> that was a very disdainful. No, no, no. Well, I, I mean, we talked well. about this. We talked about this a lot. I mean. Before, no. that Philip and I have in the past written together, and it's funny in the past. <clears throat> in the past, uh, and our writing process is: I'll write something, or he'll write something, and then I'll take it and work it, mm -hmm. or he'll uh, whatever. But 
if I write it first and send it to him, he'll send it back and it'll be full of things where I go, no, <laughs> we're not going to put in the vomiting into each other's mouth. <laughs> and then, but it always pulls me into a more edgy, like I, I'm always edgier. And so we always compromise someplace where it's, it's edgier than I would have been, but less edgy than you would have been. But then when you read a book like this, where it's just you, it's just full on fill up low. That is spectacularly accurate. <laughs> I mean, you you do plan on reading the this monkey chapter later, don't you? Oh yeah, we we will be. Oh, <laughs> Listeners will get it, some here. Philip Lowe. Then. I've been on the show once or twice now, I and know. I think I probably said Philip is on my short list of always say yes because it will be something <laughs> I will only do if I do Philip's show, <laughs> and that is you know for better or worse, uh, you know uh, for you know artistically, commercially, whatever it might be, I'm going to learn something. And that is very informative as someone who is also, you know, coming up doing their own thing. But like, you have a very strong voice. And I would imagine if the book is essentially the the story I'm familiar with, it has a very strong voice. It is not going to be everyone. You are the black licorice of comedy. You know, and like, that's a good thing to be because that's way more interesting than being the vanilla ice cream of comedy. See, I I remember I was was talking about this with my wife about uh, our working relationship and i made the comment i don't understand like why ben keeps wanting to do this because you tend to have a i mean it's not squeaky clean it's not wholesome or anything like that but you do have a more approachable stage character presence image just a more uh, i wouldn't say family friendly but yeah not family yeah but it's it's accessible like in a, yeah. In a, yeah, I don't know. Whereas I'm pretty much a shock comic, and I was like, I don't know, like does does us working together doesn't that tarnish him? And she made the observation. I think it was absolutely right. The no, you make him look better <laughs> by there is, being there the, is a like, way to do that. Yeah, <laughs> by by being like the foul mouth drunken character, then he comes off as the more. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like those two play off each, those personas play off each other. Then. Yeah, particularly when we're writing stuff, that's where there's two characters and yeah. writing kind of for one. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know. It's the, it's the Rick and Morty thing. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> like, yeah, and, there, and, and there'll be jokes that I'll end up leaving into, like, my plays that you put in there mm-hmm. that were darker or dirtier than I would mm-hmm. have written. But then I'm like, ah. And it's, and it's always, <laughs> it always, it rounds it out a bit more. It gives it... Yeah. <clears throat> I, you know, you don't want things to be too glossy. You right. want things to be too easy on the audience. Well, and if you're doing a thing with multiple characters and the audience can tell they were all written by the same person because everyone sounds the same, mm-hmm. that's boring. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, you know, this, but whenever this comes out, this might be old news. But uh, like just this last weekend, I went and saw Thor Ragnarok. Oh yeah, I don't know. Have either of you? Not yet. Yeah, I, I saw it. Okay, so really goddamn funny. Yeah. Jeff Goldblum is not only being full-on Jeff Goldblum. It is Jeff Goldblum doing an impression of Jeff Goldblum, <laughs> which is, to me, one of the most fantastic things I've ever been given in my life. But I walked out of that going, holy shit, that was super fun. I laughed a lot. And then also being really sad inside that it was like, oh, they were like, Thor movies kind of suck. Guardians of the Galaxy is making money hand over fist with characters no one's ever heard of. What if every character in Thor <coughs> talked like Star-Lord? And that's the movie they made to me. And so it's like, oh, this is really funny, but it's every single person is pop culture snarky and just ready to go. And I'm like, Thor didn't know what coffee was in the first Thor yeah, movie. Yeah. 
And now he's referencing shit that Banner doesn't understand. Who grew mm. up on Earth. Yeah, I, I, I don't know People if People on other planets <laughs> are referencing iPods. <laughs> I, I don't know if you Again, I haven't seen the movie, yeah. but I don't know if you've seen or heard uh, Bill Steitler went off on a whole thing on social media about, about how much he hated the movie and he's like the only one everyone loves it but he just i had i had my issues with it yeah <laughs> and his but his whole uh there was one thread he did that was all just him replying to himself with different titles he's for really the movie good on social media. he's so he's, he's one of the funniest yeah but i think my favorite was uh thor 3 fuck you for caring <laughs> 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 yeah, and that was kind of the thing it was like everyone's like this is the best and like i talked to one of my friends who works on movies and he's just like, I've seen it twice already. He's been up for like two days. He's going to go see it again on Monday. And I'm like, that good? He goes, absolutely. And I was like, all right. So I went and saw it. And yes, like, it's the same thing I had with like uh, X-Men 3. Mm-hmm. Well, while watching, I'm like, oh, this is cool. This is happening. This is happening. And I still went, wait a minute. <laughs> you know? And I was like, oh, there is zero characterization in this movie for anyone new. And anyone that is old had their characterization dropped in favor of being funnier. Right. And... Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is very palatable to a mass market. And for a franchise out of the Marvel universe that's the shitty one, basically, it's flagging. Because even mm-hmm. Ant-Man is more interesting than Thor. Yeah. Like, I get it. But I was disappointed. So I'm like, I like these characters. And I want them to all have a voice. And, like, that is sort of the thing. Where, like, the idea of you two working together in the way you described means there's going to be some push and pull and some, some compromises made. And not in the shitty way that people think with artistic compromise, mm-hmm. but in the way of like, okay, we'll use your line here and my line there. And, you know, like I, I co-wrote a play with uh, my girlfriend and we'd be like, no, I'm dying on this hill. This line stays in. No one will laugh. I will laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and like, truly, every night, I laughed. That's <laughs> No one else did. That's every hill for me. <laughs> 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 like, you know, it's, just, it's, it's one of those things where like that, that there's, it's a very difficult thing to do, you know, which is to, to have that uh or just a collaboration where you can go okay sometimes i'm just gonna go i don't like it i don't get it but fine I, you yeah. know it, you know and you know and but no no no. i get that you don't understand why this is important to me but it is so important to me and if you can make that work which is mm-hmm. insanely difficult like i do think you get a more interesting show better is subjective but more interesting i think is probably almost guaranteed based on that kind of a relationship yeah and uh it that reminds me of uh, like uh gene wilder Put the joke in and Young Frankenstein of the of them uh, putting on the Ritz. The, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, the dance, the dance scene, and um, uh, and uh, what's the director of that movie? Mel Can't believe Mel Brooks. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, didn't like that. Didn't like that uh, scene, and but Gene Wilder just argued and argued mm. about why he needs to keep that scene, and Mel Brooks is like, okay. It's like, well, why do you change your mind? It's like I, you clearly think this is important. And that's something that yeah. I think that when you and I are writing, if one of us is really arguing hard for a joke, yeah. then that's like, okay, both of us will back off and go, well, well let's keep uh-huh. it in. And if one of us is like, yeah, fine, take that joke <laughs> out. I mean, that's a really good way to tell, um, to kind of find those compromises, just really look at where your passions are and where you just don't care that it's much. It's almost your first test audience. You yeah. Know, of just like, uh-huh. if I'm not willing to defend it against my co-writer... I'm certainly not going to be able to explain it to an mm-hmm. audience that didn't like it. So <laughs> we might as well try something different now, you know, because ideally, and no one ever gets to, you want to put your idealized version of your project up on stage or screen or whatever it might be. I feel like we never have enough time to actually do that. 
but you know, having a partner when writing something lets you get a little closer because you got mm-hmm. one other pair of eyes. Just hold it up too. Hold it up. <laughs> hold it up. <laughs> you, just, it. you just hold it up two fingers. Well, and there's definitely jokes that are tougher. <laughs> there's there's jokes that are tougher to pitch too. Like I'm, like I think uh, that's a great example. Another one uh, what was it the first season of Family Guy. There's a gag where. Uh, Peter tries to breastfeed Stewie. Yeah. And it's, it's, I think it's hysterically funny. And it's just this, one of those inappropriately long, like it takes, mm-hmm. must take like two minutes of like the baby suckling on his nipples, slowly realizing what he's doing, <laughs> reacting <laughs> to it. Yeah. <laughs> and the, and like he described, uh, just trying to pitch this joke to the writers who, and everyone going, uh, and being like, no, trust me. Once this is animated, it actually will be funny. Like, I can't verbally describe this to <laughs> <Yeah>. you. <laughs> yeah, the number of times that where like something like Family Guy or The Simpsons has a visual joke. Yeah. And I imagine how difficult it was to sell that joke in the writer's mm. room when you can't see it. Yeah. It's like the joke in the in the movie, The Simpsons, where when the apocalypse is or they think the apocalypse is happening. And everybody from the bar runs into the church, and everyone, everybody from the church runs into the bar <laughs> simultaneously. <laughs> but how hard it would have been to get like explain that joke before not seeing it. Here's a joke for you to explain. Uh, last chapter: the heroic saving of Santa Claus, who is in a Luke Skywalker-ish <laughs> vat of. Healing, you know, like in the beginning of Empire Strikes Back, <laughs> mm-hmm. floating there. Um, and the detective, who is an alcoholic, there's he's there with Jesus, who's being really kind of mischievous and sort of a dick. <laughs> As I, most of Phyllis Mary's really, are. I really like Jesus in the second half of this book, where he's just like, I don't know, you're going to have to figure it out for yourself. And then he's skipping across the water on his feet. I like that a lot. Smiling. It's like, anyway... Jesus is like, there's nothing we can do. He's in this water, and we can't rescue him unless we uh, empty this. And 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 the character, whatever his name is, <laughs> is like, the, the detective is like, well, can you do something? I was like, well, I can only turn this water into some sort of alcohol. And then the detective is like, oh, this is, I have been preparing my whole life for this. And then he turns it into Jameson, the water, and the detective starts sucking the, the alcohol out of the vat and then it's Guinness. We just call it a back tin tank where you were thinking Star Wars, right? Yeah. <laughs> so this is my question. So then he ends up draining the whole tank because it became alcohol. Why couldn't he have just drank the water? If you didn't know you drink that much water, <laughs> it's <how> is... boring. <laughs> I think Matt has answered the question. <laughs> I just love, I just love how this is the answer. Like, oh, you can turn it into alcohol. It's the same amount of liquid, but now it's alcohol. I can drink it all. It's like this. I gotta say, if you put four like steins of water in front of me and four steins of beer, I'm much more interested in doing water. I, I like that idea that he just wasn't willing to do it when it was water. I mean, he could have, but it's like, guess it Santa Claus is gonna have to die. Yeah. Oh, it's Jameson. Okay, well let's. Or that he has some sort of, uh, the other thing is he might have some sort of superpower liver. Which yeah. he does, he does get a new liver at the end of the book. That's like, true. That's yeah. true. one of the happy endings. He's yeah. still like lying in his Christmas own vomit. <laughs> that is the Christmas miracle of the book. Reaching alcohol. Your liver. Oh, fingers crossed. <laughs> 
I just have one last question about the book. This is a book that has uh, multiple illustrations, uh, a whole bunch of different formatting, uh, and this is something that you put you published. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you go about publishing something like this? I'm asking a very technical question right mm-hmm. now. Oh, I go through Lulu, <coughs> Lulu. But in terms of just the whole process, like the the, the graphics and the everything, how hard uh, is that? Well, I hired a great designer, Wendy Rule, who is uh, someone who I just hand a bunch of text and images to and say, make this look not shitty. (laughs) (laughs) Hiring someone smarter than you is one of the coolest things about living in the world. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Because I don't know shit about shit. (laughs) But, like, if you're like, I need to build a thing, if you just go to, like, Home Depot and ask a guy, he probably knows. I I feel like this was was one of my big insights about theater production mm -hmm. was realizing... Once I acknowledge the things I can't do, I can make a lot better. Because th- I started, like, I think a, a lot of us did. It's a lot thinking. of acknowledging. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is. Like, and this is, I mean, any book is a collaborative mm-hmm. effort. But there were a lot of people who worked on this. Like, I made the words, but that's it. And it's amazing what a small part of the process of making a book that is. <laughs> yeah. Well, how many collaborators did you have with this book? Well, depending on how you define it. Oh, let me look at the special thing. Uh, there's my wife, who was my editor. There's, uh, um, you know. How, how much do you listen to editors? Like when A she lot. Gives you... A lot. Like, hmm. I mean, that's the thing about self-publishing is you're in complete control. So you can choose you however much advice is, you choose yeah, to take yeah. and the... Yeah, so it's it's uh, Kay did the illustrations, <laughs> Wendy did the design. You guys were a big part of the process, as far as I'm concerned, in terms of like putting this on a stage and saying it in front of an eye. I incorporated some of your ad libs into the oh, book. Really? Oh, that's of, interesting. Oh I mean, yeah, like Saint Peter's whole being super Jewy, like that's <laughs> like, <laughs> like I just sort of wrote him as a straight man. You were the one who did the oh, you got a thing with the lactose. <laughs> like, <you know? laughs> Uh, well, on that culturally sensitive note, that concludes our discussion of the book. Uh, we'll be back in a few moments to talk about the. Um, uh, no, to the. Uh, what do you call it? Excerpt. <laughs> Excerpt of the book. Right. See you later. <laughs> You are listening to the Not-So-Silent Planet, a speculative podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes. Those ratings are how we remind the rest of the electronic world that we exist, which, in my experience, is often better than the alternative. And now, back to the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, (coughs) welcome back to the Not-So-Silent Planet podcast a uh, podcast a <laughs> podcast that is that is accurate this is a podcast <laughs> like, jesus christ <laughs> did i say a podcast you said a podcast did i i'm on your side here actually i said what did, not, he, what did he say i think he said welcome back to a not so silent the not so silent planet, planet. Is a it, podcast oh, no, the not so silent planet yeah. podcast <laughs> like, oh my god i mean this Here's is recorded thing. so we can uh, if, like, they're, if they're this deep into the show they know what they're listening to <laughs> i mean i totally believe that if i said something and, and it yeah. came out mumbly and <laughs> unarticulated that 
makes it sense. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to debate that. <laughs> Half the things I say come out weird. Um, okay. So you're going to read now. Uh, tell us what you're going to read. Uh, an excerpt from the book. Uh, it is a Raymond Chandler parody, if that All right. helps orient anyone. Can't wait. Can't wait. <laughs> <coughs> And when I close my eyes, I see her eyes. That's the way it works, see? Because memory doesn't work the way it's supposed to work. I close my eyes and I see her eyes dark and wet and wet and glistening with intelligence. And her lips, yes, because memory, it doesn't work the way it's supposed to work. It doesn't work the way stories work with one damn thing in front of another. Memories are just things that happen in the order that they happen, whether they happened in that order or not. But I close my eyes and I see her eyes and lips, even if her eyes and lips aren't what I first saw when I first saw her. The story started, as none of these stories do, with a fellow brush in his teeth. It had been a few days since I bothered, and I didn't much care for the complicated flavor that was piling up behind them. I did a rotten job, then rinsed it away with mouthwash before deciding I didn't much care for that taste either. I washed the whole mess down with cheap whiskey, the kind they sell in plastic tubs and the clerks won't make small talk about while they take your money. I peeled back my lips for the mirror and my teeth gave back the color of dull and burnished gold. The face behind it could almost trick you into thinking it was civilized if you squinted. I hadn't been treating myself too well on account of spending the night with a mouthy dame who hadn't seen cause to treat me too well either. I'd been on a bender that left my head ringing like a church and my liver trying to call social services for a less abusive domicile. The day that thing grows opposable thumbs, I'm doomed, or saved, I can't remember which. I stepped out of the bathroom. My office was dirty enough to make me hope for better and dirty enough to remind me that I shouldn't. The problem with having a place that's cheap enough to own is that everyone else thinks they do too, which is maybe why I found a client who'd introduced himself to its interior without the courtesy of knocking. I saw dark skin and eyes, and something that glistened as it poured from underneath the brim of his too-wide fedora. There was an unsightly hunch beneath that trench coat of his, but he still stood a good few inches taller than I did. I didn't react to him, and he didn't react to me. I got tired of that pretty quink, then grunted, sat down behind my desk, crossing one leg with the ankle hooked over the knee. I figure the burden of introduction is usually on the intruder. I apologize. Your secretary must be out. Yeah, damn right she's out. She's been out for about seven years. You mind if I smoke? Actually. Scratch that. It's a mystery why I even asked. A mystery, actually, is exactly why I've come to you. I don't do mysteries anymore. It's all messy divorce work, unnecessary security, and even more unnecessary police interviews when both those things go bad. You should have found me seven years ago. I tried. It's complicated. You don't say. What's your name, anyway? Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. Never heard of you. No, I don't suppose you have. Well, Mr. of Nazareth, what can I do for you? I guess you could say I've got a monkey on my back. A monkey named Darwin. He shrugged off the trench coat and there she was, clinging tightly to his shoulders. The hunch on his back wasn't a hunch at all, but as fine a specimen of a female chimpanzee as I'm ever likely to see. The first thing I noticed about her were her eyes, dark and wet and wet and glistening with intelligence. When our eyes met, it felt like someone was anesthetizing me with a bottle of Jack administered to the back of my skull. I could tell that she felt it too when her pupils went from dimes to nickels. We looked at each other for less than eternity, but long enough to arouse Jesus' suspicions. 
He cleared his throat, and I did my level best to turn myself back into the kind of dick he was looking for. What can I do you for? I mean, do for you. I mean, have sex with your monkey? I mean, uh, uh, what? Darwin here and I have been having a tumultuous relationship. I still believe it can work. She's not so sure. She's into the hows, I'm into the whys, and why can't we just settle down and have ten million babies? Yeah, some Patrick speciation, most likely. What? Uh, nothing. Continue. <sighs> You're a detective. You're a problem solver, a finder-outer. I want you to find out why this isn't working and find a way for it to work. Think you're up to the challenge? Metaphysical cases are tricky. A venial sin's harder to scrub out than a bloodstain. Three hundred a day plus expenses. He nodded, and she kept making those moon eyes at me until they left. It wasn't until after they'd gone that I found the slip of paper she'd left on my desk. The paper itself didn't interest me, but the ink on it sure did, spelling out the name of a nearby hotel and room number. I'd thought my mouth was dry before, but it had turned to sandpaper by the time I grabbed my hat and coat. It wasn't long before I stood before her hotel room door. I'd remembered a German study I'd read on chimpanzee mating and had the presence of mind to put together a small covered tray of fruit and insects. My hands were shaken so badly I don't think she even heard the first knock. I made up for it with the second. When I heard her inquisitive hooting on the other side, I replied, Room service. Here to turn down the bed. Don't suppose it much matters to me whether you're still in it or not. The door swung open. She was wearing a pair of long jade earrings. They were nice earrings, and it probably cost a couple of hundred dollars. She wasn't wearing anything else. <laughs> I, I love that that's the one line you give some inflection to. <laughs> I stepped inside, set down the tray, and kicked the door shut with my foot. I reached down, and she ramped her arms around my neck. I picked her up and carried her to the bed, set her down facing away from me. I began to run my fingers through the hair on her back, carefully picking out whatever dirt and insects I could find. I found a scab and spent more time on it than I should have, but her labored breathing and trembling flesh told me that she didn't mind. After an hour or three of foreplay, she loped over to the discarded tray and pulled out an apple. She brought it to her lips, bared her dull and burnished teeth, and drove them into it. Some of the juice hit me in the eye. When I wiped it clean, she was leaning in toward me, and I felt her lips pressed against mine, her tongue snaking into my mouth with bits of mashed and rotten fruit still clinging to it. For a moment, I thought I was going to be sick, and then I was. I was sick. I vomited into her mouth, and she returned the favor by vomiting into mine. It was in that moment that we both understood what this was, that she repulsed me and that I repulsed her. And that our consummation was the chance for us to transform ourselves into something both truly free and truly vile. And when she brought me to completion inside of her, we both knew that it was an act of purity, of pure and uncomplicated self-desecration. We collapsed into each other's arms and all was darkness. I mean, like, spiritually, but also I totally dozed off. Woo! <laughs> so... <clears throat> Jesus is, is allegory for Christianity, religion. Monkey, allegory for Darwin. Who is the detective? An allegory for humanity? I don't believe in He's... allegories. <laughs> <laughs> Even though the monkey is literally called Darwin. And the Christianity figure is 
Jesus. You know, a lot of people were named <laughs> Darwin. <laughs> I can think of two. <laughs> One of which I know personally. <laughs> the other of which is fucking Darwin. <laughs> you know a Darwin. <clears throat> first or last name? Uh, first name. Works for Human Combat Chess. Uh, smart dude. Yeah. Well, Right. Did well, he invent the theory of evolution? I made a joke <laughs> related to evolution. He goes, everybody gets one. <laughs> and I was like, you're a large man. <laughs> I am done now. So you didn't have any um, ambitions of metaphor or allegory when you're writing this piece. Is that what you're telling me? Can I choose to remain cryptic and wise? No. <laughs> Now, if you choose to read this piece on the podcast, <laughs> I think the no. I think the joke of this piece is that the introduction leads the reader to believe that this is going to be some sort of deep satire, and then it's several pages of monkey. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a it's a joke on the audience, but also if they get it, they're part of that joke. They're like, all right. That is a fucking. very generous interpretation. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, how do you interpret it, Matt? <laughs> you know, it's 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 interesting. Uh, and I'm going to be <laughs> that guy. Because uh, clearly there's a lot going on here with religion, spirituality, and... I d- is there? <laughs> is there <laughs> because the thing is, if you want to go <laughs> off the rails... Uh, satire and you know, in, in things that will be like wildly insulting to uh, an actual religious audience member. Like my parents would, they've mellowed up. They're old. They're mellow, so they don't. They don't. They wouldn't be like upset. But like I have relatives that would just like the two pages into this, they would just, you know, into the play, they would just flip their shit and like maybe a table and leave. And like you said, like you, you've got a bit of that a, is very Christ-like. Actually, it is. Yeah, you know the roadhouse and Christianity. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, but there's there's something to be said for the idea that, like you said, of, of yourself as as an artist being sort of an Asian provocateur. You know? <laughs> uh, and there's a place for that in the world. And so there is a thing of just like ruffling feathers just to ruffle feathers. But I think the selection of what to ruffle feathers about matters. Whether you went too deep beyond that selection or not, <laughs> in your own mind, and so what that allows is me, as you know, while being a fellow performer in that particular show, you know, uh, or being just a straight audience member, the fact that you choose to write about Darwin and a monkey and Jesus <laughs> and all that means, like, clearly this is something that's on your mind, and you have opinions. Now, whether or not you chose to express those opinions in this particular play or even that particular hunk of the play. We don't get to know. Only you know. <laughs> but that makes us go, well, what do we think he's saying? Mm-hmm. And you can walk out going, fuck that guy. He hates Jesus. <laughs> or, haha, that guy was awesome. You know, he thinks Darwin's awesome. Or, you know, haha, that guy is so stupid. He doesn't believe in Jesus. Or, haha, that guy's awesome. He <laughs> thinks Christians are stupid. You know, you, you can find ways to make this fit your personal belief set, whether it's pro or con to the piece. But I think, and this is again is why like you have a hard yes on me for working for you, uh, which is just that like you don't get to leave without an opinion, no. <laughs> because whatever you're doing is going to inspire one, and so 
if you are just kind of going, okay, there's a whole room full of Tinder here with these topics, <laughs> and I'm just going to, you know, huck a cocktail in there, like, fine. Like, that, I, there is a place for that in art, and it's a, a portion of art that I personally happen to respect. Or you could be like, this is very carefully crafted satire, and yada, 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 yada. And then, oh, they just don't get me. And I don't think one is better than the other. I think the, the intent uh, belongs to the artist. But you have to trust the art, not the artist, uh, which is a thing I totally stole from Pendulette. Never name <laughs> drop. Pendulette told me that. Uh, but the, he told you that personally? Yeah. Uh, so, um, Something to talk about for the next podcast. No, uh, but uh, he always uses Bobby De Niro as his example when he says, never name drop. Bobby De Niro told me that. But, <laughs> um, but no, but I think that that that's enough for me mm. is that like you created a discussion and whether you did that because you're going, I don't give a fuck <laughs> or because you had a real and sincere point, either one's fine. They're both equally valid to me. You know, your mileage may vary, but I find that I always have something to think about when, uh, I do one of your shows or watch one of your things. So for me, like this thing stands on its own as, well, you decide what the fuck it mm. means and you're right or wrong. You tend to not over explain your pieces which cool that's fine you know? I, I mean i i definitely do have uh messages and themes in here that i am personally invested in my hope is that the book is funny enough that they're not obnoxious <laughs> your dog is chewing on my hand right now. i'm aware he should probably stop doing that <laughs> We're good. <laughs> we oh, now now he's chewing on uh, Matt's yeah. hand. So. <laughs> so your hope is you can just get get away with whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> if it's funny enough. Which is... Perhaps. That's, <laughs> that's pretty much what every comedian hopes to do. I mean, and you really, you really can. That's the odd thing about humor. Hmm. Is that if you're laughing... And people are genuinely laughing during a situation. Doesn't matter what you're talking about; it's okay. Hmm. The moment yeah. that the laughter stops, yeah. it's sort of like that. It's that whole tension cutting. Uh, then you're like, then you're like, oh shit. And, and I mean, definitely, or that's when you drop serious science on them. You know, like you, like, that that can be the mind, like, oh shit, it, it went from being funny to being real. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can go both ways on that. It, yeah, it, but that has to be intentional. Yeah, and that's insanely hard. I do not give myself credit for being able to do that. <laughs> so, like, and, and I mean, definitely the 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 world of religion and theology is a great fucking sandbox to cut loose in. In terms of being like, there is so like everything in this world has so much weight behind it. There is something really satisfying about just sort of blundering into it reaching out and lunging at things and seeing what emerges from that process. <laughs> um, Which is not to say that I did not have my own agendas that I brought to this, <laughs> but uh, this is, I, I, and I say this as someone who is unapologetically a very preachy writer, this is a book where I was trying to be funnier than I was trying to convey a message. Well, Which is not to say that I do not have messages I'm trying to convey in if, it. But if you like, were you know. trying to convey a message, 
I don't know what that <laughs> after reading this book. It does feel... Did you get a message from the overall book? Other than the message of it's just, anybody can take away... I mean, no, I, I think I have my ideas about what I think of it. And I think that is probably exclusive to me. And I think that, that it's the same for anyone that would watch it. And, like, you may come out of it with, with no message or whatever. And I... You know, so, so you know, this is similar to the idea of like you take from it what you want, mm-hmm. but I also think that what you take from it might be very personal, and that honestly might tell you more about you than uh, than the, the the you know broad uh, the broad strokes theater or art that might have a thing that's a little more easy to digest. So I know what this means to me. I don't even know that I care that other people know what that is. But, like, I took some stuff from it and it informed <laughs> things in my life. And that was, like, cool. Like, that's satisfying art for me. Yeah. So, that's an unsatisfying answer. <laughs> well, and yet I feel like Philip was probably actually trying to bury some message in there that was, like, a definitive message. But I think that that's the, the, way, the way you're taking it is the proper way to treat it. And I've also, I've never asked him. And I've never offered my ideas. <laughs> yeah, because, again, trust the art, not the artist. Yeah. You know, like, I just think I got what I needed from it. He got what he needed from it, hopefully, in his production yeah. because hopefully you're happy with it. And that's enough. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't need to, you know, sometimes when, to dissect something, you got to kill it. And I don't, I don't need it to be. I, I mean, to I be clear, I, I don't, I, I think there is a limit to that of, mm-hmm. like, if someone read this book and came up to me and said, I think you're right, we should wipe out all the Jews. Then, like, I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, there's, there is, like, a Have we not learned our lesson on this podcast? No. It should be enough baby Someone's just going to take that sound clip. Oh, God, there's so many things that could just be sound clips in this podcast. That would ruin all of our presidential runs unless we're in I'm the one that shouted, finally. So, uh, at least I'm your goble. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, on that note, <laughs> what to watch again? Very culturally sensitive note. And Welcome uh, to season two, plus, folks. Plus the dog is act- asking to be let outside, so I think that's a good time to take a break. We'll be back with the rules of... Uh, what are the rules? Anti-Semitism. Oh, <laughs> Not the rules of robotics, but something like that. Semiotics, yes, the rules of semiotics. Thank you. <laughs> You are listening to the Not-So-Silent Planet, a speculative podcast. If you're in the Twin Cities metro area and would like to hear some live storytelling, or even sign up to perform yourself, we present a recurring monthly open mic at Kieran's Irish Pub in downtown Minneapolis. More information about this and many other spoken word events in the area are available at wordsprout.org. And now, back to the podcast. One, two, oh, God. three. Welcome back <laughs> to the Not So Silent Planet, a podcast. Um, this is the segment where we pull rules out of a hat and these laws are the, these of probiotics. Are the, oh my God. <laughs> these are the laws of semiotics. Uh, sure. Based off, of, <laughs> based off of the Isaac Asimov's. Laws of robotics. <laughs> it's actually Isaac Newton's laws of robotics. 
<laughs> you son of a why, why are you trolling me to my face? You're supposed to do that anonymously online. Yeah, you, you can both troll him and wink the whole time. He can't see you. So, these are rules that have been crowdsourced uh, from the internet and from guests from this podcast about various things that authors should uh, abide by when they're writing speculative fiction and when we talk about whether or not we agree with these rules. So, uh, we'll have our guest... For the evening, pull the first Did lock. the hat get more good. dapper since last time I was here? It's the same damn hat, really? sir. Okay. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> no use of the word precious, as in, you're too late to save your precious planet Earth, Doctor. Oh, <laughs> so, okay. So, like, the same thing, which, okay, did you guys, <laughs> this is a bit of a tangent, but totally related, because it's, it's, it's super villain cliches then, right? Mm-hmm. So, okay, when I was a kid and was reading comic books, when Dr. Doom, you know, <coughs> the 70s FF and X-Men I was reading, because I had a, my godmother had a sibling or something that worked at Marvel and would just send her comics. And was so she, his name Stan Lee? Um, <laughs> no, no, not that. But, uh, so she had a box of comics. And when I would, like, hit, like, middle school age and got into comic books she's like oh i have a ton of comics from the 70s if you'd like to read them i will loan them to you and like over winter break when i had like two weeks off she loaned me this like huge like you know like think like two paper cases worth of comic books from the 70s which is fucking amazing and they're all the actual original issues and shit and so one of the things i found was a common thing was your villain your doctor doom your whoever and it's just like, curses, it's Reed Richards or whatever. And I always thought that meant that the person yelled curses. And I realized <laughs> only years and years later, that's just comic book talk for, fuck, it's Reed Richards. <laughs> <laughs> and the same thing for reading 90s X-Men when I kind of got back into comics after a dip. When my <coughs> cable shows up. And there's S-O-N-A-V-A, or no, S-O-N-O-V-A, hyphen, and then something, something, something. And I was like, Sonova. <laughs> Why does this guy keep saying Sonova? Is that like a word from the future? And I'm like, oh, it's son of a... And then something. <laughs> and like, as a kid, I didn't understand lingo for comic books and swearing. And like, Precious being one of those comic book lingo things. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, pulp tale That's fracking things. crazy. <laughs> and like, there is Did a you certain... just make a Battlestar Galactica reference? <laughs> Yeah, but it's not cool now that you pointed it out. <laughs> I've never seen it, so you're still cool. Uh, but but that's the thing. Is like you realize suddenly, like, oh, people do have their own shorthand in these mm. mediums to get around, you know, network censors or comics code authorities or whatever. So that, that raises the question, because at the time of this recording, Star Trek Discovery has just come out, which I have not yet seen. Nor have I. But it has garnered controversy for uh, characters dropping the F-bomb in it. And people questioning whether or not that violates the spirit of Star Trek. The counter argument being, well, the reason they didn't say fuck on the original Star Trek. <laughs> no, are they actually saying fuck or no? They're s- yeah, they're saying fuck. But the the uh, but yeah the the counter argument to that is that well the reason they didn't say it on the original series was no, the no. networks wouldn't let them. Not yes, because but that they but then have... but then I see what that could be like. Then the explanation in nerds' minds yeah. is, oh, but they didn't say that word in the future, right? Because or whatever reason, so they came up with this whole right. explanation that now is being torn down because the show is coming out 
non-network. See, my my point of hesitation, my point of hesitation with it is mainly just that slang and profanity are things that date so rapidly. Yeah, they do. That the hearing someone say fuck 500 years in the future just feels weirdly anchored to the way we talk now. Yeah. To me. Yeah, like, I guess, you know? I, I'm sure, you know, like, obviously there's the, the reason that you couldn't do that on broadcast television, but also just the Star Trek universe doesn't need it. Mm-hmm. And I'm a guy that swears a lot. Yeah. But there are also circumstances where I go, no, it'd be dumb if I wrote that into this thing. This mm-hmm. thing doesn't need it. Well, that's interesting. It's a bold choice. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 they don't need it. And that's interesting because, so. like, I'm... I'm a, big swearer too and I like swearing but I also like some of my favorite comedies are on network TV mm-hmm. that where they can't swear and I feel like it almost makes it better because they have to work a little harder mm-hmm. um, and I probably feel the same with the Star Trek is you just have to work mm-hmm. a little harder with the dialogue and with conveying emotion if you can't fall back on I never go, felt like Picard was insufficiently pissed off because he didn't say fuck. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I do remember Data saying shit in some movie. In the, in the generations. generations. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like, cool. Nerds. Remember, <laughs> just regained our virginity. Um, so, okay, but... But that was... It? But the thing is, that, that, that was a moment we remember that made the entire theater crack up because... What? Yeah. Not only did someone swear in Star Trek, it was data that 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 was so off the charts that it Mm -hmm. meant something and like that's the opposite of what it sounds like maybe they're doing so how how can we relate this back to using the word precious as a supervillain because it's a they're using it's a pseudonymous swear i guess well it's not exactly that but it is it's the no one can save you now you know or the (laughs) it's 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 just it's a uh, i mean and part of the whole exercise here is cliches but that one is like a literal verbal cliche, yeah. uh, you know. Um, I feel like so many of these laws could just be don't use cliches. <laughs> they literally almost all are, yeah. You know, but but one of them is just like you know, just okay. And this is the the advice I've been giving myself lately, which is when you think of an idea. Stop, wait till you think of the third one and try that because I bet someone else has done the first one that's on YouTube and it sucks. <laughs> like, that's that's enough for me now, creatively. It's just like, wouldn't it be funny if... I mean, sure, but wouldn't it be funnier if... And then that actually forces you to go a couple levers, levels deeper on your joke. Mm-hmm. And if you can't go a couple levels deeper, maybe the joke's not that funny. You know, it's the mm-hmm. opposite of Mitch Hedberg. Yeah, well, <laughs> Patton Oswalt talks about that. It's like that first, that instinct to make fun of something. Uh, is yeah. not the best instinct that you often the best joke is take the perspective of the thing you're making fun of and flip it flip it on yourself mm-hmm. and start making your making fun of yourself for thinking that thing is worthy of being made Punch fun up. of yep yeah and it's that idea of just just basically thinking ahead a couple more steps than just the easy well because you have a million youtubers <coughs> that are gonna sit there and play call of duty and go ack, 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 yar, yar, yar. And then end up getting in trouble for saying, like, faggot or something and losing a Pepsi sponsorship. Yeah. And all they're doing is the first stupid shit that comes to mind. The world uh-huh. is flooded with that now. Well, I mean, this podcast is <laughs> full of... Well, you have no <laughs> full of us drunkenly no, saying... No idea how many times I've Things that are going to get us in trouble. Yeah. Uh, so I agree with the that law. I think it's yeah. great. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah for I, sure. I can't think for of a sure. use of the word precious that way that I desperately want to defend. So, like, <laughs> um, okay. So I have a new law I pulled out of the hat. 
No Jack the Ripper. Exceptions made for Alan Moore. Hmm. I'm going to disagree with that. Is it, is it saying that using Jack the Ripper is the great character? I think killer using Jack the Ripper is the trope. Cliche, oh, but I think that Jack the Ripper can be used in ways that would be really interesting that he hasn't yet been. Uh, yeah, you, you better have something to say. So, what are you thinking? Well, I just feel like anytime mm-hmm. Jack the Ripper ends up, and I'm, uh, he's not. He's even from Hell. Yes. That's, yeah. anytime, from Hell's about Jack the yeah. Ripper. Yeah. <laughs> anytime it shows up in pop culture, it's done in a, in a way that doesn't. It's not. Um, I'm, I'm in a hard time remembering that, but it's it felt like it didn't. Jack the Ripper is this mythology almost. He's, yeah. He was a real person, uh, but he, he became this legend mm-hmm. of this. Uh, this legendary sort of original, even though he wasn't original serial killer, mm-hmm. who was this genius doctor, whatever he was, um, and he and it was somebody who actually existed. And I just feel like that hasn't really been explored in a way that is uh, that has been used it, it, to his full potential. I feel like it's always botched. And until it's done correctly, until Jack the Ripper is done correctly. We can't say no more Jack the Ripper. So until Ben Sandell has done it correctly. <laughs> well, it's. You think that's what I was saying? I do think that's what you're saying. Ooh. Implying, suggesting. So what about From Hell was unsatisfying to you? Yes, yes. No. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> My point is, is it was unsatisfying to me. Uh-huh. Uh, I want. It's. Uh, how, how can I. You you talk for a second. I got to think about it. So here's, here's where I land on this: is that like there are things where when when someone gives you a topic, you kind of roll your eyes. Yeah. There's no thing about Charles Manson. You go Ugh, again. You know, if they're gonna do a thing about Hitler, you go really like no. we. You know, it, it, a lot of those things. And then you what you want what people do if they're trying to be a little more hip is that you go okay, I'm not gonna do Hitler. I'm gonna do Manson. <laughs> if I'm not gonna do uh, Jim Jones, I'm gonna do Koresh. And you, you modernize it, even though you're telling the same story. You know, you're working on the same kind of idea of mythologizing an average person into this, like, supernatural or otherworldly or at least uh, less human monster. And that's the kind of weird semantics you can argue. But if you have a take on it that you feel is unique, you deserve to be able to tell your story. And the thing is, if you have a take on it that is not unique, you still deserve to tell your story. Fine. I, I will care much, much less. But, uh, you know, I don't ever think you can just say, no, we've told as many stories as ever need to be told about X subject, we're done. Yeah, and, and no but, one's no one's talking about a scenario, I think, where, like, genre police come in. Right, but, 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 they, you know, but they're saying, don't stop using Jack the Ripper. <coughs> I think that is what they're saying. It's they're like, saying, like, uh, we're sick of these stories. And I'm like, no, you're yeah. sick of the ones we've seen so far because they're getting samey. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like Someone it's like... Someone can turn the corner on that. If you generalize it to say, no more time travel. Right. If if you lived in a world where Back to the Future wasn't currently didn't people are hadn't saying come no out. more yeah. zombies because uh, they're sick of zombies, like fine. yeah, it, you you would go wait, oh, wait a minute, but Back to the Future is next an episode. No more zombies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's gonna be there's gonna be zombies have you know there's been a lot of zombies. They're they welcome because it became just fucking people churning shit out without actually putting thought into it. And I get it. If there was a spate of fucking Jack the Ripper shit, I'd be sick of it too. You know, give me some H.H. Holmes stuff. Where the fuck are all the movies about that guy? God damn it. But so much more. No, no, I, I will say I get it in the sense of um, 
So I've been re- I've been reading uh, a bunch of Philip K. Dick lately for an upcoming podcast. But the, I just read. Uh, I'm right now reading Man in the High Castle, which is an alternate timeline Nazis won World War Two. I'm reading this, and I'm I'm really struggling not to do that. Ah, I've seen this before, and of of course it seems so familiar to me. Because so many people have done it since. since. Same reason Citizen Kane doesn't look impressive now. Yeah. Because everyone learned how to shoot watching that movie. You yeah. know, like fucking Mel Brooks movies early on are now, you're like, what's so special about this? Because now everyone does that. I'm so impressed movie. by Citizen Kane. I am too. Yeah, I'm great. No, I fully <laughs> am. But, like, but that is the thing. I get it when people are like, I don't know what the big deal is. This looks like mm. the movie. You're like, Whatever the movie wouldn't look like this because they all have like, <laughs> like, Yeah, well, you, know. you get that a lot with the Matrix now. Oh my the, God, the, yeah. the bullet time stuff yeah. isn't so overused. And you see it, it's like, yeah. yeah. And it's like, but someone had to do it first. And yeah. so we should appreciate how it was first used and how people iterated on it. Because there are things where, like, you know, the, the Matrix used a great effect in their action movie. And then you have it used in every action movie. And then you have it used in fucking silly ass ways in comedies. And, like, that's a whole new thing. Where it's like watching someone bullet time, like, <laughs> spill milk on themselves <laughs> you're like okay bravo like, that's yeah well played well and that's yeah. my point but in this the no jack the ripper what i when somebody says no blank i yeah. the way i read it is no more bad or unthoughtful or unoriginal blank yeah no yeah, more bad sure. jack the ripper but if there's a way to put use jack the ripper to give him uh, put him into a story that really uses him in an original way and takes advantage of the mythology. Yeah, no, I'll totally read that. I'm absolutely there. I think the uh, the idea is like I would always. <clears throat> yeah, I, I'm sick of bad representations of anything. I would always like to see the best of something. And when something new comes, I always hope it's going to be the best of something. I I'm an optimist. You know, I have a, an ongoing argument with one of my co-hosts on Horror Show Hot Dog uh, about. He just fucking. Didn't that sound like horse show to you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he fund like we 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 all have our movie that is our fucking like die in a fire. I wish the world didn't exist. If I had to kill it all to make this never happen, it would be <laughs> his is high tension. Have you guys seen it? Mm-mm. Okay. I have seen it. I uh, think. movie where at the end you go, oh, everything's from this one character's perspective in her head. So everything I saw is a lie, is his theory. Therefore, I wasted my last hour and a half. And I'm like, no, you saw this amazing film that you were loving up until the last 10 seconds. And you decided that what you saw in the last 10 seconds invalidated everything you saw. Whereas I go, oh, that tells us more about the character and then the movie ends. And so his thing is, if a character wakes up and it was all a dream or it was all in someone's head or whatever it is, the movie's automatically shit. Because all the time I spent up until that reveal was <coughs> wasted. And I go, like, I think that's just a, too simple of a view. And he and I have gone back and forth about this for, I think, six or seven years. Oh, I think I side with him. because Most people do. Most people do. <laughs> I mean, I'll use the example of the show Lost. I never which, saw it, so I, I can't well, get specifics with you. But, yeah. but it, does, it, it takes some premises and it sets up mysteries. And the reason why you get invested in a mystery is you go, is you trust the author that there is an end point to this mystery. Mm-hmm. That they're not just throwing shit in. Just to add to the mystery. And then you get intrigued because you're like, okay, where is this going? Mm-hmm. When you find out then that, oh, fuck, it wasn't going anywhere. They were just making shit up. You feel cheated. Or, or, or you yeah, was, there's a difference yeah. because you're talking about serialized television where there wasn't an end. 
a movie well, being a self-contained thing. But they, they could have made the end of Lost, it was all a dream, which essentially that's pretty much what it was. Mm-hmm. Not really, but it was that, if you felt that cheated. But they could have made it, it was all the a dream. the writers of Lost admit they didn't know where they were going. I, I, I have they to were ask, literally making it up. I have to ask you guys, are you, are you watching uh, The Good Place right uh, now? If no. The answer is, are you watching? The answer is no. Okay, well, it's... <laughs> Uh, it's I want to s- watch it. It's a new sitcom. It's great. But one thing that just came out recently that makes total sense if you're watching the show is that the creator mentioned before he started, he called the creator of Lost and like took a bunch of notes. But it's one of those things where every episode ends with a new plot twist. Yeah. And the and again, uh, I'm I I think it's very well handled. I think it's a lot of it's that every episode is funny and that goes a long way. For me, I'll mm-hmm. put up with a lot if I'm enjoying the dialogue and the characters. As you talked about earlier, yeah. <laughs> you can get away with a lot if it's funny. Well, and see, my, my counter-argument is a lot of people like Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. It was all a dream. Most people like Fight Club. That's all in one character's head. And Yeah, but... Yeah, yeah. It isn't. I would say that the Fight the fight Club is is part of the story. When you go back and rewatch it, you're like, oh, this makes sense, and oh, this. But Except if it's the, just used at the end as a cheat to get out of something... And see, now, here's the thing. like That's the way he views high tension. I do not view it that way. I view that as what we are getting is what it's like to be the psychotic killer who is divorced from reality from the psychotic killer's perspective. Therefore, you get weird third-person shit where she thinks she's the hero fighting an imaginary villain because no one thinks of the villain in their own story. Yeah. And so to me, it all makes sense. To me, it goes, that's impossible. She couldn't be hunting herself in the gas station. Like, she doesn't have to. All she has to do is tell herself that when she continues leaving with her hostage. Is like, oh, I'm actually the hero here. I went to <laughs> the gas station, heroically killed the gas station attendant because he was having eyes at her. So my question is, does, when you rewatch that movie, does it still make sense considering that she is the killer? I think so, at least as much as like Fight Club or whatever else. Because like okay. Fight Club has that scene where you've got Tyler Durden driving the car, Edward Norton as the passenger. Mm-hmm. And that scene literally does not work because there are two people in the back seat. If Edward Norton is sitting in the passenger seat screaming and not holding the wheel. That cannot be real. Or they shot it where we can only see the mythological character. <laughs> well, the way, yeah, the way I see it is, is in that scene, uh, Brad Pitt, Tyler Durden is the, is the one who's existing in real life. And the imaginary is uh, Edward Norton. But the whole movie tells us Tyler Durden's fake. But it, the whole movie says he goes, it goes back and forth. Sometimes he's Tyler Durden, sometimes he's Edward okay, Norton. Okay, but then... But it really does, because he goes yeah, off as, as Brad mean, Pitt. He goes and does his things as Tyler. Yeah. But that, I don't know, I just I find that's too big of an ask compared <laughs> to the idea that the rest of the movie is all from Edward Norton's perspective, and he never knows what Tyler's doing. Why are we getting one scene from Tyler's perspective? Because we get no others from his perspective. All the rest of the But you don't know that. Uh, any, any sure, but again, that's an even bigger ass. Yeah. Because everything about that movie comes down to Ed Norton learning about Tyler Durden being a figment of his imagination. Why do we get one scene where Tyler's like, ah? <laughs> <laughs> that's weird. And that would be sloppier writing than having just be one poorly written scene that forgot that Tyler can't drive a car. That's actually a more forgivable mistake than me than something completely switching the perspective of your narrative. Or, I'm way overthinking it, which is my job on a movie podcast. <laughs> quite, <laughs> so, quite possibly. <laughs> All right. I don't write for Cracked yet, is what I'm saying. <laughs> the last law. All right, the last law, and I'm picking a short one. 
An author may not regard an audience primarily composed of children as less competent or intelligent than adults. So, Philip, as a, as a performer who has performed for children. I 100% agree with that. I, I, mainly, I shouldn't say 100%, but I do agree with it in the sense that I feel like I have seen a lot of adults doing children's theater in a way that is amazingly lazy, mm-hmm. because their assumption is, oh, the audience doesn't care. Well, they won't know. Yeah, which is a really shitty way to start making anything. Like, I, I do think you can make thoughtful, interesting, fun, entertaining stuff on a stage for kids. And some will get it on one level, some will get it on another level, and... You know, I that's to me that's the fun and the challenge of writing for children is. Uh, I mean, if you, you look know. at like uh, like Pixar, yeah, yeah. oh for sure, have some examples yeah. of just having these when when they are just condescending, or they're just being like whatever. We don't when uh, uh, children's cartoons do that. It's just the kids aren't into it either. It's no, so often oh no one is a harsher audience than a child. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my god, they'll tell you exactly how much you suck. No, no. I was a <laughs> uh, I was a theater critic for ten years for the. Uh, TC Daily Planet mm. and the, and I remember I uh, one thing at Fringe I tend to see stuff randomly at Fringe because I want to just take in as much as possible and I'd see a bunch of kids shows and I uh, made the error of actually reviewing them when I saw <laughs> them <laughs> like and not just saying oh it's so great that yeah. people are making something for children oh it's so great that kids are on a stage and putting themselves out there and the but actually applying like a critical standard to did anyone care about what they were well, making? Well, I can see that there's an exceptional danger if they're actual children in the production. Yeah. Because then you get defensive parents, and that's the worst. Yeah, yeah. You know, I no, I, I taught you know. children's theater for years. Yeah. I, you then, know, then you know, you know, to the nth level. But, like, I, I don't do a lot of stuff uh, that has been intended for children. I did a fringe show that was a, a kid's show, which was uh, scary as hell. And then uh, I also, the, the improv show I did at the Renaissance Festival. Mm-hmm. We, it has to be all ages. If yeah. you're going to do a joke, it's mm-hmm. got to be on a level where it'll be over the kid's head and mom and dad can laugh. And we do our best to stick to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing is, is like, I've got, I've got an 11-year-old. You know, I've got, well, I've got an 18-year-old, but she gets it now. She's an yeah. adult, so that doesn't count. But, like, my 11-year-old, like, I took him to the Twin Cities Horror Festival with me this last weekend and watched a bunch of shows. And it's interesting to watch him watch shows. And I take him to as many shows as I can because mm-hmm. I want him to, one, learn how to go to theater and be not an asshole. So, like, mm-hmm. he turns his phone off and he's quiet and he applauds. Like, yeah. awesome. <laughs> but I figured, you know, ingrain that now and he'll actually not be a douche when he goes to shows as an adult. Yeah. And he might actually go to shows as an adult. <laughs> but um, it's interesting because, holy shit, you've got five minutes to impress him. Mm-hmm. Or it's, it's over. Yeah. And he's just checked out. And at this I, point, I, I was going to say that five minutes is generous. Well, and, <laughs> like, it's probably because he knows, like, this is what dad is. But it's also, <laughs> the, it's, it's also not just that you get them in five minutes, but if you can't be interesting in, with, with five minutes of time, you're not going to be interested in the wrong. rest of the no. play. You're, you're not somebody who knows how to write and that's, a play. But the thing is, is, like, you don't have to be, you know, people think you can just do, you know, kids like bright colors and big movements. Like, you know what works on fucking adults? Bright colors and big movements. Like, yeah, yeah. The same shit works. No, no, but no, do no, you have a yeah. story that will engross them? Mm-hmm. And the thing is... is Characters like, that they Yeah, my into. son won't get your fucking Winston Churchill reference. 
fine. But the thing is, you could still have a character of Winston Churchill as long as that character comes out and is relatable because of what he does in his everyday routine. And he'll be fucking on board, you know? Like, uh, I took him to see uh, Harold by uh, Four Humors of mm-hmm. the Twin Cities Horror Festival. I don't know if you guys have seen that in the yeah, past. Yeah, I saw it a couple years ago. Yeah. Creepy as fuck. Yeah. Right? And so he sat there and, like, and he's also, he's 11, so he's too cool for school, right? So nothing's mm-hmm. scary. Except, of course, everything is. Because you're 11, everything's terrifying. <laughs> so, like, you know, I'm sitting there next to the audience. And then, like, the first time the scarecrow moves, yeah. he, you know, he doesn't say anything, but he goes, and up <laughs> super straight and super fast. And then, you know, it goes back to the jokes. And he's kind of slowly relaxing in his chair, and he's laughing again and clapping. And then there's a little bit of creep. Super straight, just stiff as a board. And it's like, this is totally working. This is essentially scary stories to tell in the dark. It is hyper-focused at his age. Now, it's not marketed that way because they swear. You know, and it's, and most people are terrified to take their precious whatever, (laughs) haha, precious, (laughs) uh, to to something scary because people are terrified of showing the children that the scary things won't kill you. But, you know, it was perfect. And at the end of the day, like, when he watched a bunch of plays, that was one of his favorites. He's like, I mean, I wasn't scared, but it was pretty cool. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, sure, buddy. And the like, will be like, remember that time we saw that super scary play? Because in, in retrospect, he can talk yeah. about how brave he was for seeing it, but in the moment, he has to have been not scared. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, it, that's kids can get shit, and they will be real bored if you're dumb. We went and saw uh, Eddie Poe, a, an entire oh, yeah, yeah. play about Edgar Allan Poe. He has no idea who that is, did not get any references. But hot damn, when, you know, this and that were arguing, or this song, he'd be like, that song's really funny, I like that character, because mm-hmm. he was always really this. He got what they're doing, yeah. he just didn't get the references. Yeah. I mean, if you think about when you're a kid, how many, like, if you end up seeing an adult movie, yeah, you and, mm-hmm. and it's good, you think it's good. Even You can be 10 years old, and it's made for adults, and it's a good, made. And you see a bad adult movie, and you, it's bad to you. So, mm-hmm. kids... Are barometers of what's good. Mm-hmm. I mean, so often, if a kid doesn't like something, it, aside from just the you know the very subtle sort of nuanced art house movies, is probably not good. Well, well, and I'd I'd say the the bringing it back around to you know me, <laughs> like the 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 subtitle of the book is one of those things that's a joke, but it sort of isn't of the. They get thee behind me, Santa. An inexcusably filthy children's time travel farce for adults only is the, the, I feel like a lot of what I do and a lot of what a lot of us do is make children's theater mm-hmm. for adults in terms of it is brightly colored and fast moving and has larger than life characters and has every earmark that we associate with children's entertainment. But, you know... We throw liquor and swearing in there, so it's for adults. I work in a lot of slapstick. <laughs> yeah. you know, my body's all broken yeah. and shitty now. <laughs> like, <laughs> I do a lot of pratfalls and slapstick and stuff. So it's like, yeah, yeah I because the thing is that absolutely works. You know, like yeah. your average adult will kind of poo-poo like the Three Stooges or the Marx Brothers or whatever, and they forget like there's there's way more going on yeah, yeah. than like. Also, I, I don't care about any adults who poo-poo the Marx Brothers. I just want But, you know, and this thing is, like, you look at the stuff, like, oh, you gotta remember, like, in the in the 80s and, you know, 70s and 80s, horror movies were considered children's entertainment. Mm. Because they're like, yeah, you know, you take them that silly bullshit that mm. we're too 
you know, adult for. <laughs> and that's why these kids grew up and then became John Carpenter. <laughs> yeah. It's like they were watching really cool fucking films. Well, yeah. but that's, isn't that like the fascinating thing about uh, like comic books, you know, mm-hmm. and like the whole concept of gritty reboots is taking something that was initially formulated as children's entertainment and saying, okay, let's dig into this and see what else is there. You know, I, I mean, at its worst, it can be terrible, but at its best, there's a lot of fun to be had doing that. <laughs> like, but even know. that, even the idea of Gritty Reboot <laughs> forgets that at, at their high, the peak of comic book uh, yeah. sales, mm-hmm. you know, you're looking at like World War II, uh, uh, you know, the the levels that, like, Superman alone as a title sold, mm-hmm. I think, and, and, uh, 78% <laughs> of statistics are made up on the spot. Mm-hmm. So, like, <laughs> Superman as a title by itself probably sold about what all of comics sell per month today. Mm-hmm. Because it was read by, like, soldiers in yeah, trenches yeah. and shit. Like, you know, it was, people forget, like, that was adult entertainment. The way, right. you know, manga still is in Japan. Yeah. Like, and for a time, Superman and Batman were just things everybody read. Yeah, and yeah. Star Wars... Yeah, Star Wars is something discovered by children. I mean, everybody who is now so into Star Wars now remembers being a, a kid in the '70s, seeing this movie and being blown away. Uh, and now all the fan there's a lot of kid fans of Star Wars still, but the big core of the fan base are the people who were kids. They're middle aged now, and they yeah. were the ones who determined that this is this phenomenon. Literally within 20 minutes of you walking in the door, I was talking with my wife about this because she made, she was like playing with the baby and she made some Jar Jar Binks joke. Yeah. And I, I made the observation that I remember seeing the prequels in theaters when they came out and how angry everyone was was with them. And I said, I remember uh, the kids in the audience loved Absolutely. Jar Jar. Yep. You know, the which again, I, I'm not going to defend like, I was in the camp that did not love the character and found him really obnoxious and insanely tonally dissonant with what the rest of the movie was doing. But I'm I also a racist, you know. <laughs> but I also recognize that the kids in the audience were totally engaged with the mm-hmm. the the silliness of it, and the and also noting that that uh, the feelings about the prequels are largely generational. Yeah, that the ones who are like, oh, the only great Star Wars movies are the original and the the later like those are people who first saw them 30 years ago you know ideally the, when like, they were kids which yeah, means yeah. they can't trust their opinions and yeah. you do see people now adults now who haven't seen Star Wars you introduce them and they're like no it's they're okay they're very mad yeah. no it's yeah. uh, to, because I can't help but uh, bring up Pendulat in every conversation <laughs> uh, he had on a recent show talked about the idea of you can't trust your opinion about art uh Plus or minus, I think it's five years from your first blowjob. <laughs> because that is such a formative time of your life where you either know nothing about anything or you're just being exposed to everything and everything is amazing and awesome. He goes, all the art you consume in that like 10 years, be wary of when you revisit it. Okay, it so may let be me amazing. see any movie I saw between I was 18 and 28. I was going to say, any movie I saw within five years of last week. Is <laughs> like, yeah. For me, you know, what, that, that, what that gives me is, let me think, 1995. So, 1990 to 2000. <laughs> that's grunge. Mm-hmm. That's all the Tarantino stuff. You know, that that's a lot of shit. And yeah, the, yeah. The, when you go back, a lot of that shit does not hold up. Mm-hmm. But at the time, it was the most mind-boggling shit ever. And it's like, maybe 
all of your life is amazing <laughs> and groundbreaking and astounding and just all the art came with it yeah. and the art influenced well, and enhanced it but like you know we're, we're probably too close to it so maybe be be a little kinder if someone's like I don't really like Star Wars you go yeah maybe because you weren't eight well well, and it's, you know? it's the XKCD joke right of uh, the golden age of music is whenever I was most emotionally vulnerable <laughs> yes <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that's a good point. Thank you, everybody, for uh, joining us on the season premiere. Thank of you, Mr. Not so Silent. <laughs> Thank you, Philip. Thank you, Matt. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know what? Thank you for apologizing. I've been waiting for that. I'm really sorry. I'm just going to shuffle off. <laughs> good night. Each story holds a thousand seeds. A proverbial pomegranate A jewel of possibilities A not-so-silent planet A not-so-silent planet A not-so-silent planet planet.